We are here this morning to share a burden that we carry for children in this generation and particularly in the church generation. And so we're trusting the Holy Spirit to lead us on that. There's a lot inside of us about it. I watched as a mother was preparing her seven-year-old son to be shot. It was on a plane. The mother and the son were sitting in the seats. He was in the aisle with an iPad playing a game. Stewardess came by and said to him, son, you need to turn off your electronic devices. We're getting ready for takeoff and everybody has to turn off their devices. He completely ignored her. Mother sat there and didn't say a word. Boy kept playing on his device. Second time, stewardess comes by and says, son, you need to turn that off because we're getting ready to take off and we can't have electronics on when the plane takes off. Boy ignores her, keeps playing his game. Mother sits there and says and does nothing. Third time, stewardess comes by and says, son, you need to shut that off now. Please give that device to your mother. He gives the device to his mother. The stewardess goes by. She gives it back to his, her son, and he's playing on it again. Finally, the stewardess insists, turn the device off. So the device gets turned off, and as she walks away, he turns it back on and is playing again. The whole time, the mother's sitting there saying nothing and doing nothing. And the plane takes off with him still playing his device. That same week, in Santa Rosa, California, a 13-year-old boy had a fake assault rifle made out of plastic, but they make them swear they look pretty real. He went out in public and thought it would be fun and funny to wield that gun around. And when the police got word of it, they came and they shouted him down twice. They said, drop the gun, drop the gun. And the boy did not pay attention to what the police said. And he turned around and wielded the gun at the police and they shot him dead. It matters if we raise our children according to scripture. That wasn't my story, that was John Piper's story, but it's very impactful. And it illustrates the point that good parenting matters on lots of levels, but I wanna speak and we wanna share just a heart for parenting for Christians because this is enormously important. What happens with us is, so maybe our children won't get shot if they haven't learned to listen to authority, if they haven't learned to obey. The Bible teaches us to require our children to obey us. This is important, not just for things like that where they're gonna die, but for their whole life because 
Our goal in raising our children as believers is to raise disciples that will love and follow Jesus over their own will. And if they don't learn how to submit their will to the authority that Jesus has put in their life, how are they ever going to walk as disciples of Jesus and lay down their life and take up their cross daily and follow him? They won't be able to do it. And the parents in this generation, we have been lied to and brainwashed that any kind of disciplining of our children is abuse. And it's a lie. What's really abuse? And I've seen these people. I've known a lady who was never disciplined in her life because she was the child of a second marriage. The father was much older, had another family, and then got remarried to a younger woman. They had their family, but the father was largely absent. And this lady, I spoke at her funeral this last summer. She's my age. She was raised with no discipline and had no self-control. She was a friend of ours. We tried to mentor and help her for a long time. She called us mom and dad, even though she was actually seven months older than me. She would hang out at our house, and she couldn't keep a job. She couldn't keep relationships. She, she couldn't um, function well almost in any way. Couldn't take care of herself, was always in need. And the reason was she had no self-control at all. She, she couldn't control her appetite. She was very much overweight because she didn't have any self-control. She was never raised to have self-control. And we looked at her, and we loved her, and we sewed into her life hundreds and hundreds of hours. She stayed with us. She stayed over at our house. She watched our kids. I mean, she was like part of the family. But her whole life ended in a nursing home that she had been in for maybe eight years because she was so sickly from her life and her lifestyle that she could hardly function. Tell me what's child abuse. That's child abuse. To raise godly seed. The Father wants godly seed and godly children. We shared last time we were here our story. We basically had a worldly mind about children. We were going to, we had our two, we had our boy and our girl, and we thought we're good. So I went ahead and got the operation to fix that. But the Lord was like, that's not what I want. And I tried to avoid, it's really hard to avoid the Lord. I'd get up in my prayer time in the morning, and the first thing he wanted to talk about, I'm like, can we talk about something else? I've already settled that. We've already made that decision. We've already crossed that bridge. Like, we've already decided. We've got a boy and a girl, and Lord, after all, I'm trying to start a business, and I can't make money. Mama told me I could do anything when I grew up because I was smart, I was diligent, and all that, but she lied. I couldn't, and I was failing at it. But the Lord would not relent. I'm explaining to him on paper the reasons. 
Don't, don't you see? We can't make enough money. The most money I've ever made in my life is $15,000 a year. We, we're already struggling majorly. Well, this doesn't make any sense at all. He's like, are you finished? Because I'm not really interested in your excuses. What I'm interested in is your obedience. And I want you to have more children. You say, well, that's personal. Well, when you're a Christian, nothing's personal. Everything is Jesus's. He bought us with his blood, so he bought our whole life, and he bought our life trajectory. So we don't make big decisions like that without his permission. But I was dumb, and I thought we could make that decision, and he would not give it up at all. And so finally, after the hardest dealing in my life, no exaggeration, we ended up, I said, well, we better find a way to get this fixed because the Lord will not relent on this. He wants more children. So he changed my heart. My, my heart was shut. And I prayed this prayer, which was the, the game changer. I prayed this prayer. I said, Lord, I acknowledge with tears. I remember driving in my work truck. I said, Lord, I acknowledge that you're dealing with me about this. And I don't want to harden my heart against you. But I, I can't do this. Would you please help me want to do what you want me to do? And that changed. Not overnight, but over the period of maybe three months or six months, my heart shifted, and then I was excited about it. Come on. We don't have any money. we got to find a doctor. The cheapest one we found to do a reversal was $15,000, which is more than I made in a year. So that was a little problem. But then somebody told us about a doctor in New Braunfels, Texas, who did reversals because he was a believer and he loved children and he did them for $1,500. Wow. <laughs> so we drove out to Texas and we had the deal done and it wasn't fun. Uh, my wife laughed at me a lot and um, I told her, don't laugh. Um, but here's the miracle. He said, you know, you're playing a numbers game here. Whether you can ever get pregnant again, depends how long and, and all of that. But there's no guarantees. This is, this is God's truth. The first time, after I healed up, the first time we got back together, my wife got pregnant. And the boy that was born is now a missionary in England, missionary to Muslims. He's, he's leading Muslims to Christ. <clears throat> That's a true story. I still get goosebumps over it. But we ended up having five more children <clears throat> because the Lord wants them. Not because we can afford them. Not because it makes sense. I had people in my whole life say, do you know how much it costs? I do. <laughs> but here's the thing. What God orders, he pays for. I sat down one day and looked at my Social Security statement later on when we had our seven children. And I'm looking at it. They used to come in the mail, you know, mail, like letters and paper. Um, they, they used to come in the mail. And I'm sitting there looking at it. And I'm looking at my income statements for the years, and I got goosebumps all over me. 
And I was like, oh my goodness. Because the story of my income was the story of my children. Boom. Every time I had another child, boom, boom. Oh, we had her in that year, boom, boom, boom. My income went just like that. And I was like, you are God all by yourself. Of all the decisions that we've made in our life, having a large family, I have never regretted and never will. We're sowing into eternity. I loved seeing the young families here and the young children. So beautiful. You have a treasure and you have a stewardship. And what we want to do is to try to sow into you some things that the Lord has taught us because our parenting came out of a huge paradigm of weakness. We shared yesterday in the married group, or in the married um, seminar, whatever you call it, sessions. Um, We both came out of ungodly, or in my wife's case, just a train wreck of of a home and upbringing. So we didn't have any context for raising godly children at all. And for me as a dad, I was desperate for God to help me. My prayer a thousand times over, the Lord probably got tired of hearing it, is God... I don't know what I'm doing. Please help me. I don't know how to raise godly kids. What do you, how do you do that? And I felt totally incompetent, inadequate in doing it. Absolutely. Over and over again. I tell my wife, I, I suck as a dad. She's like, baby, you really don't. The kids love you. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I kept praying that way and going to the Lord. And one day, game changer happened the holy spirit spoke to me he didn't just give me an impression you know there's a difference he he spoke words to me and these are the words that he spoke to me that changed my life and our parenting he said if you will create an atmosphere in your home where the holy spirit is pleased to dwell i will do in your children what you can never do and i was like oh it's all about the atmosphere I know one thing about parenting. I know one thing. It's about the atmosphere. So we're like on a hunt. How do we create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell? And we want to share just a little bit about that this morning with you, of our journey in raising our seven children. By the way, they're all grown. Our youngest daughter is 22. This doesn't seem possible. She's 22. And... By the grace of God, and this is the truth, so much of it is in spite of us and not because of us, but God knows that's truth. But all seven of our children are lovers of Jesus, serving him passionately with their lives and their family. We never had a single one of our children that rebelled in their teenage years, not one. And that's to the praise of God. He just said, watch what I can do with or without your help. Boom. Just just get out of my way. Don't hinder me, and, and I'll show you what I want to do. Because he loves the children, and he's making a legacy. And for all of us in here who have children, he wants the legacy that you're building with your children to be much greater than yours was. He wants them to start where you are now and to go from there because the world is desperate for true, godly, all-in, sold-out lovers of Jesus who can change their generation. And it matters. So 
We have three pillars that we want to share of child rearing. The first one that we want to share, in my view, is the most needful in the church today. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 4, and we're going to launch into this. Ephesians 6, 4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. There's a lot of ways to do that. We can talk about that maybe a little bit later. But here's the phrase I want to focus on right now. But bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Those two words are really important. They're not the same thing. We know what instruction is, right? It's verbal teaching. It's verbal instruction. But the word discipline is something in, my, in our view that we see in child rearing today that is hugely lacking. Discipline means a shaping of the mindsets and the behavior of your children. It's intentional. It's planned instruction. It's repetition. The, the Greeks used this word when they were talking about athletic training, to train for an athletic event. They used it when they were talking about musical training. Anybody ever learn an instrument? You do the scales over and over again, right? When I was learning to play guitar, my fingers hurt. Oh, my goodness, you got to push past that. Any kind of instrument, there's practice, there's repetition, and you have to learn. So there's a training. This is training like you train a horse. That may sound bad. Your kids aren't a horse, but they have flesh like a horse has flesh. If, if you have children, you know that they have a lot of fleshy flesh that has to be subdued, right? They want to chart their own course. They want to do their own thing. And Jesus said, I want you to actually discipline them to help them to have self-control so they can have godly character. So they can one day hear my call and hear my command to discipleship and they can respond with a whole heart we are training our children to raise disciples for jesus the normal way i want to tell you the normal way evangelism is powerful and wonderful and the lord breathes on it and lots of people are saved through that but the normal way that jesus raises up all in lovers of himself followers and disciples is by being trained and nurtured in their home to be lovers of Jesus. That's the normal way. But unfortunately, that's not the normal occurrence today. It, it really isn't. This isn't a throwdown, but the truth is um, that there's a lot of Christian children who, though they're raised in church and brought to church, when they get to be teenagers or college age, they leave the faith and they walk away. It's a massive number. It's a massive percentage. And it's not okay with the Lord. So what can we do? How can we create that atmosphere? What are the three pillars? The first one is character training. I want to say this. I want Diane to share some examples so you can kind of get what we're talking about, how this is different than instruction. Your child's temperament is not their destiny. There's some children that are much more difficult than others. We had a season with two of our boys together that was really difficult. And half of the days, I would say over a, a year and a half period that I came home from work, my wife was crying. It was so hard. Do we regret that? No. 
One of those was our son who's a missionary in England now. <laughs> and his younger brother. They're both amazing men of God today, I will tell you. We don't regret it. But there's a training process that happens. And I want Diane to just to share. She's so good at this. She did such a, a beautiful job with training the children. Just to give you an idea of what we're talking about when we're talking about training and why this matters. Well, praise God for the Holy Spirit <laughs> because he's the one who truly helped me. And a lot of times it was in my weakness of knowing that I didn't know what to do and crying out to him to help me or through making a mistake and then him correcting me and then I have to go back and repent to my kids. <laughs> That'll change you. But I would say that, you know, we were talking with Taylor and Paul and um, it's so important whatever training you're going to do for the mom and the dad to be on the same page. You have to talk through all of it, take the time, go over the scriptures, figure out what your game plan is. In this situation, what are we going to do? Okay, I've had this come up today. Honey, like, what do you think we should do about that? Or, you know, how should we tackle it? It's really important for you to be on the same page and for you to, um, if one parent says something, that the other one's going to back them. If it's in front of the kids and the game plan maybe hasn't been discussed before because a scenario came up, you never even thought of it before. And whichever one is correcting or disciplining in that moment, go with it. I would say go with it. What you don't want is for the children to see that one parent doesn't respect the other one. Now, I would see this sometimes with moms. The dad would say, we're going to do this. And she'd say, what? No, they don't need to do that. That Sit in the back seat? No, they can sit in the front seat if they want to. Oh, my goodness. What did she just do? What about when those kids are teenagers and they really need a strong, godly father to look up and respect, and then they don't respect him? Well, the seeds of that were sown way back. So we do need to keep that in mind and we, so that we don't contradict each other. Um, and I would say, too, that in this training process, we really need to take anger out of the equation. As soon as anger's in the equation, just know your kids aren't learning anything. They're not being trained. The Bible says that the wrath of man doesn't yield to the righteousness of God. It's not going to lead to the, that end. So there's a good behavior that you're going for, but you're not going to get there if you're going to um, and maybe um, use anger as a tool in that, or you feel frustrated and they know it. You know, you hear sometimes parents say, well, I don't want to spank them because then they're going to learn that they hit, you know, when they, something bothers them, then they hit. Well, we talked about that before. It really, honestly, I would have to say that we did not see that with our kids. And we're, we're thinking that maybe part of the reason is if the, if the discipline in that moment is done out of frustration, 
and there's some anger in there, then that's what we're teaching them. You get angry and frustrated and you hit. We don't want to do that. We want to discipline and love. It's for their benefit. It's because we love them. And it's because first and foremost, we want to honor Jesus in the home. And so it's not okay for children to be disrespectful. Because you are the authority of God in their life. Who are they saying no to? The authority of God in their life? Yes, sometimes that is who they're saying no to. That is who they're disrespecting. When they hit each other, Jesus said, the way you treat others is the way you're treating me. So I would call that to my kids' attention. Do you realize this injustice that was just done? This is to your brother made in God's image. So it was really indirectly, but it was as unto him. And you want to honor Jesus, don't you? And they'd always say yes. Yes. Like, okay, so is this behavior okay? No. Do you need to repent? Yes. Do you want to pray with mommy? Yes. And then do you want to go repent to your brother? Yes. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. Let me just see where. Sometimes I hear people say, oh, but they don't understand. Like they're so little. They don't, they don't understand yet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness, they already have you duped. <laughs> oh, they understand so much more than you realize. They understand that little nine-month-old crawling to the outlet. You know, they look back to see, okay, I've already been told not to touch this, but is anybody watching me right now? Because I'm going to go touch it. And they'll look around. Why are they looking around? Because they know they're not supposed to. They understand way more than we realize that they do. And I had a friend, it's funny, just recently I was talking to her about disciplining her precious little girl who's 18 months old, and she's like, oh, she doesn't understand yet, though. And I'm like, oh, honey, she knows, she knows, believe me. And so we talked for a little while about disciplining and, you know, you're creating boundaries. What do boundaries do? If you put boundaries up in a garden, the garden can flourish, right? If you, uh, I heard of an, uh, I heard a story of a school that they didn't have a playground for the kids, and so they got a lot next door to the school, and it was the kids' playground. But funny thing, the kids wouldn't play; they stayed huddled in the middle, and they didn't feel safe. There weren't any fences. They put up the fences. Guess what? They're playing baseball, they're playing kickball, they're running around playing tag. They felt free. They could thrive, they could play, they could be kids. They felt safe. Boundaries make your kids feel safe. So I talked to my friend about boundaries, and she called me a couple days later. She said, you, you wouldn't believe what happened. She said, I started to put up boundaries, and I started reining in some of this disrespect, and this behavior, mind you, she's 18 months old. She said, I started reining it in and not allowing something. Some things were not okay anymore. So she started doing that. 
She said, and my sweet little girl, who I did not think understood me at all, or understood the word no, or discipline, she turned around at me, and she said no to me, and she stuck her tongue out at me. <laughs> that precious little girl who didn't understand what she was doing. Oh, she knew. She knew. And you know what funny thing? She said, you know what now? She said, immediately, I could see a shift in her heart, and she loved me more. Our relationship grew. It strengthened our relationship. She said, I felt closer to her. She felt loved by me. And we could enjoy each other then. It wasn't always correcting, being irritated, you know, frustrated. So I uh, just encourage you because uh, disciplining your children is such a blessing. And we didn't do any of this perfectly, just so you know. Just so you know. Did I ever get angry? Yes. Did I have to get down on my knees and repent to my children? Yes. So many times, you know, the bad behavior that we might see in our kids and that we get frustrated with and we just want to pull our hair out, like, why do they continue to do this? I just want to say sometimes we do have a log in our eye that the Lord needs to highlight and we need to remove it first. And one time, my daughter and I were, Shana, we were setting the table, getting ready for lunch, and I could hear two of my, um, two of my boys just fighting in the bedroom. And I just was like, it had already been a hard morning. And I just felt so defeated, so drained, and I'm setting the table, and I'm just praying under my breath in the Spirit, like, Holy Spirit, please, I, I need you so much. Like, we need you in this home. We need you. So many times I said, Lord, I don't know why you wanted us to have so many kids. Like, I'm a horrible mom. Like, I am not doing a good job. And um, Barry would always encourage me. But um, so I'm setting the table, and my daughter's like, Mom, I don't know how you do it. I could not put up with this. I couldn't do it. Here, she's got six kids now. <laughs> And sometimes she calls me crying. <laughs> but she's doing a great job, too. It's just hard. It's hard. So we're setting the table. And I'm like, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. And he just whispers to me. He said, well, they yell because sometimes you yell. I'm like, oh, wow. You're right. I'm guilty. <laughs> So we get everybody around the table. We'd always hold hands. So we're holding hands around the table, getting ready to pray. And I never said anything to them. They did come to the table, and they came nicely. They were hungry. So, but we're holding hands, and I started to repent for yelling, for being angry, and then lashing out and yelling. I'm like, God, please forgive me. I have been so wrong. Please forgive me, Lord. We, then we thank God for our food. We ended the prayer. Those two boys, without me saying a word. See, humility and repentance opens the door for the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit came in. He dealt with those two boys. Immediately, they went over to each other. I'm so sorry for yelling at you. Will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Do you forgive me? Yes. And then they hugged. 
and it was beautiful. So, so many times that has been, I can tell you time after time with the Holy Spirit is like, well, you do that, and so you need to ask forgiveness, and then that opens up the door for me to come and really change and instruct their hearts. Um, but let's see. Just want to say another thing. Like whatever, and then we'll, you know, I'm going to talk about like the, the actual, like what that training looks like. But whatever they throw a fit for, and I don't care how big the fit or how small the fit, that whimpering, those little tears, so pathetic. Don't give it to them. Don't give it to them. And I learned this when my kids were older. Um, but some of them were still little. So some were older, some were little. So for an example, like sometimes you have problems with the car seat, right? Like that kid does not want to get in that car seat. With our oldest one, sometimes we just couldn't go somewhere because I was not physically strong enough to put my 18-month-old in the car seat because she fought me so hard. And when, I was, when Barry was home, he would be the one to have to put her in the car seat because she was refusing. And I, you know what? I didn't win that battle with her when I, she was younger. We didn't know this lesson. And the lesson is, like, if they're throwing a fit, then they don't get it. They don't get it. If it's the blue cup, they don't get it. If it's they want macaroni and cheese, doggone it. No, they don't get macaroni and cheese. They don't get anything that they throw a fit for. Certain show they want to watch, they don't get it. Certain shoes they want to wear, they don't get it. It doesn't matter. If you reward it, there's flesh, and the flesh will grow. The flesh will only grow. You're going to strengthen their will and their resolve to fight you, to, to, to um, back talk to you, to tell you no. You're going to strengthen that will. Don't give in to that. And so the whole car seat situation, throw a fit. Like sometimes it's like screaming because they want to get out, right? Get me out of this right now. I don't want to be in there, and I want you to get me out right now. Well, I learned, okay, no, I can't honor this. I can't do it. So I brought them into the car. I mean, brought them into the house, still in their car seat. When you have a happy face and you have a good attitude, mommy is going to get you out. But not until, because I'm not going to honor you throwing a fit. And honestly, like, I'm not talking about a six-month-old, six okay? But, you know, a year-old, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They know. Like, you calm down. And I am not talking about when it's 11 o'clock at night. Okay, let's be reasonable. We're not talking about when, okay, it's been six hours and they haven't eaten. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about they've got 102 fever. I'm not talking about that. Okay, we have to take everything into consideration and in context. If it's 11 o'clock at night and they're throwing a fit and they're having a breakdown, come on, it's 11 o'clock at night. They need to go home. They, need, they should be in bed. They should have been, been sleeping for three hours already. You know, of course, this is the behavior. Structure helps so much. You know, uh, uh, a schedule will take away so many problems from the table. If they know what's coming, then it's, and there's order in the home, it's going to alleviate so many problems. So even that is like part of the training. 
um, that's involved. But okay, so the specific training that Barry wants me to talk about is um, when starting with their little, you know, um, after I learned this. So for our last three are the ones that we really learned this with, and I will say that I can I I think like all three of them I can remember having for me not including Barry but for me personally you know maybe having to discipline like five or six times I hardly remember having to to spank them and discipline them because we trained them we were proactive we did it ahead of time we put the hard work in ahead of time and trained them on what was acceptable and what was not acceptable and so they learned and they were really happy. We didn't, they weren't grumpy, they weren't throwing fits, they weren't, you know, it was such a blessing. But so e even from the time they're little and they're crawling, okay, we're gonna stay on this little blanket because I want them to, to listen to my voice. And if I say no, then we're, you know, it's gonna be no. And on this blanket, I might put down something that I don't want them to touch, your cell phone. Whatever, you know, an object that they cannot have. And there's other toys they can play with, and so I'm playing with them and getting them interested in the toys, but oh, they, f they see the cell phone. Oh boy, that's the one thing I want, because that's whatever he's looking at, right? What's so interesting in it? So going for the cell phone, a little flick with, the fin with my finger on their hand, no. Mommy said no. And, you know, well, play with a few other toys and then go back for the cell phone. No. Mommy said, no. You don't touch that. Before they even get to it, I flick on the hand. Now, if they're a little bit older, maybe, maybe it's a little, a little something you're going to tap their little hand with. Um, it needs to be enough to where they don't feel like they got a patty cake, you know? It needs to be, they need to feel a little something, a little something. And then if she's going to go, they're going to go off the blanket. No, we're going to stay on the blanket. This is blanket time. We're going to stay. I'm just training them. So that was one thing we did. Crawling to mommy. How many times, like, how fun is it to chase your two-year-old around the house because, you know, with their underwear on because they don't want to get dressed and they think it's hilarious that you're chasing after them. Well, if you don't make, if you're going to make a game out of it, then you've lost and just make a game out of it. But if you want to correct that and you don't want, because some, you might be in a parking lot and you know what, it's not the time for chase. So it could, it could mean their life. So if come to mommy means come to mommy, don't give them a directive that you're not going to back up. Don't do it. Whatever you say, you need to follow through. You have got to follow through. So if it's come to mommy, when they're crawling, come to mommy. And I'd have a little string tied to them. And I'd gently pull them toward me. And they're crawling. And I'm like, yay. And I'd get the other kids involved. Like, I'd have them behind me. Like, hey, I'm going to ask them to come to me. And then we'd all cheer. Yay. Well, they learned obedience was fun, you know. It was a good thing. It was a good experience. You know, and then when they're walking, you keep, you keep training them with it. Okay, come to mommy. Yay! You know? And when they don't, 
Yeah. Is there a little little whack, a little something, a little sting? Yep. One time, that's all you need to do. And then they come. Yay, you celebrate it. And it's, um, it's just such a blessing. You're training them to listen to your voice. We might have couch time. We're just going to sit on the couch. We're going to start. It's going to just for five minutes. And maybe five minutes works up to a whole half hour. You might go to the doctor's office. You might be in church. David, you're doing such a great job sitting next to your mommy right now. I'm really proud of you. You know, you, um, you train them. You train them. And pretty soon, you're going to be taking them places, and people are going to be saying, your kids are so amazing. You're, I've never seen children so well behaved before. Good job, Mom. Good job, Dad. Um, and I, I gave this example last time, but um, with one of our sons taking down the trash can. But not everybody was here, so I will, I will say it again. But um, he was a little bit older. And we really wanted to work at our children obeying with a good attitude. If they're obeying you with a bad attitude, just think about, you know, you're raising adults. You're not, don't think about, I'm raising kids. Because kids are not going to stay kids. They're going to grow up to be an adult. But are they going to be an adult with a, are they going to be an adult with a kid attitude? Are they going to go to work and then be told to do something and then have a bad attitude? Well, they're going to lose their job. Or they should lose their job. But they're not going to go far, and they're not going to be able to become all that God wants them to be if they're going to have a bad attitude when they're obeying. So I would tell them, you know what? You still have to clean the bathroom because this is your chore. But we didn't give them much of an allowance, but we gave them a little something because Jesus said whoever's faithful with a little bit will be faithful with much. So if we can't, they are responsible over that little bit of money each week. It's a great way to train their heart. Now, we'd give them their allowance and say, now, who does this really belong to? Jesus. I'm like, that's right. So what you need to do now that you've been given this, he's going to test you to see if you're going to be faithful with what he's given you. So ask him what he wants you to give, what he wants you to save, and what he wants you to spend and it was totally on them I'll tell you that that was a very beautiful thing I know of two instances with one child in particular both times once for Bibles in China and once to help send his sister on a missions trip totally emptied out the bank account totally and he had some money and he was like, well, I was really saving for a car. He's like, but you know what? When I need a car, God's going to provide the car. And it just was a beautiful thing, but that was from the time that they were little. It's always surrendered to the Lord. It's all his. Um, so, But with this one child, the getting back to the good attitude. So if they, if they had their chore to do and they didn't have a good attitude, they just didn't get paid. Because I go, you know what? You've got to be employable one day. That's my job as managing the home, basically, when, when my husband's not gone, that I need to raise children who are going to be able to hold a job one day. They need to be marriageable. And they, first of all, they need to be a disciple of Jesus. I said, if you can't clean the bathroom with a good attitude or empty out the dishwasher with a good attitude, 
boy, you're going to have a hard time carrying a cross one day. And that's what it's going to take to be a lover of Jesus. You're going to have to pick up your cross and carry it every day. So just get used to doing hard things. Don't make it too easy for your kids. Don't do it. It will cost you in the long run. You are making your job harder. You're making it more difficult if you wait and you don't allow them to bear the brunt of uh, the consequences of their disobedience. Like, let it come. It's okay. They're going to be all right. Don't make things too soft. Because in the long run, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt them. It's, you're hurting your kids. You're hurting them. So with our son taking down the trash can, he took, a, he, he took it down, just throwing himself around. He was so ugly. You know how they do. They're just like so mad. I take down the trash can. We don't have a super long driveway, but it's a little bit of a ways, you know. But, you know, anyway, like, okay, well, and he came back to me, and I'm like, you know what? You had a bad attitude, didn't you? All right, I want you to go. To, I, I I want you to do that again. I'm like what? Like I want you to go get the trash can and bring it back up here. And I gave him a little swat. I'm like now, go get the trash can. He goes get the trash can, brings it back up to me. Okay, now you're gonna take it down down again, but do it with a good attitude. We want to honor the Lord with how we work. Throw himself around again. He just like yeah. I'm just asking him. Too much, you know, like this is so difficult for him. But he comes back to me, uh, and I said, no, bring the trash pan back. I mean, trash can back, we're going to do it again. I don't know how many times we did it that way. I th did it that day, um, maybe five, six, seven, eight times. I don't know. But I told him, I said, listen, I have nothing. And this is when he really straightened out. I said, listen. I have nothing more important to do today than to train your character. There's nothing, in, there's nothing on my agenda today. I don't care. Cooking dinner? Nope, not important than my son's character. Nothing, nowhere I have to go? Not more important than my son's character. So this is more important to me than anything else I'm going to do today. He knows, doggone it, I'll be here till the sun goes down if I don't take it down with a good attitude. So... He took it down with a good attitude after that. Yes, so important. I wish when I came to Jesus as a teenager that I would have had discipline growing up because the the Lord's method is not as easy as it as the other would be. So he had a he had a plan for me of the school of hard knocks to uh, make me so I could do hard things. Um, so. It's actually merciful and loving to train your children to be responsible and to have self-control. So important. Um, their spouse will thank you one day. Here's one thing that I want to address. I just feel like I, I need to because it's become such a thing in the church is that spanking is wrong, is abusive, and we shouldn't do it. And they have made a metaphor out of using the rod in the book of Proverbs. So, oh, that doesn't mean actually using a rod. It just means correcting them and trying to reorient them and re-steer them. 
And I want to say that that's absolute hogwash. Um, and I want to just read you four scriptures from the book of Proverbs and let you deal honestly with these scriptures. First of all, nobody has ever believed that until recent years. No Jewish people, no Christian people have believed that. That's, that's a made-up thing. Um, like a lot of other things, we form our theology around our own desires, and that's always a deadly thing to do. So, and, and let me just put this in there. What we're saying is not to be harsh with your children. You, 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 you don't be harsh with them. Our, our second pillar deals with that. Like, we're not talking about being harsh. We're talking about training them so that they can have self-control and grow up to be godly children. Um, there's a big difference between that. Anger, like Diane said, should be completely divorced from the mix. If, if you have an anger issue as a parent, I encourage parents with this. If you have an anger issue that you can't resolve and anger gets uncontrolled, then you should not spank at this moment. You should not. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't get your anger issue dealt with um, so that you can actually help your children. Using this switch, using whatever you're going to use, we, we always used a switch. Um, it stings, doesn't bruise, we're not beating them. It's not a beating. It's training like you, think about training a horse, going around, the, nope, you're, you're, you're steering them, you're training them. And no, if you go that way, that's going to hurt. You know, we had a saying around our house, it don't pay to disobey. And so um, you, you don't want that. You don't want that. But you know, that's true with Jesus, isn't it? Is that true with Jesus? That, that reality is going to come to them if they're following the Lord. Like, it don't pay to disobey. It's always hurtful, and you always realize, oh, I was a fool to go my own way and be self-willed. That self-will is what's bound up in the heart of a child. The Bible calls it foolishness. The fool's wise in his own eyes. He's going to go his own way. He's wiser than everybody else out there. He's just going to do what he wants. Nobody's going to stop him. That's a fool. All it takes to raise a fool is to not discipline them. To raise a wise son takes discipline. To raise a fool takes no discipline. Which do we want to raise? So let me just give you four verses here just to talk about the wisdom of actually using a switch. It's not the only thing in your tool belt, parents, but it is one thing, and you don't want to give it up because it's valuable. It's not to get your own vengeance. It's to help to train hearts and to train flesh to be self-controlled. And it's a valuable tool. You should not give it up by rationalizing. So Proverbs 13:24. I'm just going to read these in sequence here. He who withholds his rod doesn't say spoils his son. It says he hates him. If you withhold the rod, you hate your son. Why do you hate him? Because you are going to condemn him to being a fool. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Proverbs 22, verse 15. This is the word of the Lord just as much as Ephesians is. 22.15, foolishness, listen, listen to this, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. This is the essence of being a fleshly person, and every child is born fallen and fleshly, every child, even yours. 
And that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. You know what that tells me? In God's wisdom, there is a connection between the child's heart and their hiney. Because he said it's bound up in their heart, but the rod on the hiney will drive it out of their heart. So something happens in their heart when they realize God has ordained it that when they feel that sting and they know that they've done wrong, there is a reflex to repent of that and for that foolishness to come out of their heart. Wouldn't it be awesome if it worked on adults? Um, Just saying. Okay, Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14 say this. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. So, so clearly he's not talking about saying, don't do that. Though you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod. Actually, the Hebrew there is really stronger. It's a, it's a command. You must, it says, this is what the Hebrew Bible said. You must strike him with the rod and rescue his, his soul from Sheol. Come on, there's eternal consequences of not disciplining our children. And you, you may be sitting in here today, and I was thinking that because there's all ages represented here. And you might be thinking, I'm not of childbearing age. I don't have any children. But here's what you can do. This is so important that you should be a cheerleader for every young parent raising their children. When you see them doing a good job, you should go up and encourage them and congratulate them and say, you're doing a good job with your children. We see the Lord being represented in them. That is so important. I can tell you from having seven children and going around like two ducks with little ducklings behind them and everybody kind of looks at you like, what, what the drug were you on when you were thinking of this? Um, the encouragers who came up and said, it's so beautiful that you have these children and they're so well behaved. Like that puts heart and encouragement in you to keep going on in those hard days where you want to cry and where you want to give up, right? But you're, every parent in here, you're sowing into eternity. You, you're, you're not working to build something that's going to go to the junkyard. You're building something that's going to last forever and their children are going to last forever and you're, you're building a legacy. I was on a job site in my landscape business one time and the sales manager drove in in his brand new black Lexus convertible. And I said, Jim, that's, that's a beautiful car you got there. And he turned to me and spoke the word of the Lord and he said, your kids are your Lexus. And I said, Yes, they are. And my kids will never go to the junkyard, but your treasure will. Come on, Lord. I love it when the Lord uses unbelievers to speak his word. Like he was actually encouraging me. He thought it was a put down. Uh, You you have too many kids. You're never going to have any. No. Your Lexus is going to the junkyard, just like all of the other material things your house is going to be knocked down somebody else is going to live in it all of those things are going to go away but this what we sow in our children will last forever so 
If you're not of childbearing age and you don't have children, take your place and being be an encourager. Even be a supporter. Pray that the Lord, maybe the Lord wants you to go and bless some young family and say, here, take this money and take your family out to eat. Or what do you need? How can I help you? Like we should do that. We should further, if we're talking about sowing into eternity, this is sowing into the gospel. So we all have a part in this. So don't think that just because you don't have children that you're not a part in this. You are. You're part of a community where there's lots of young children like there are here. It's so beautiful. You can be an encourager. That sows into eternity as well. All right, 29.15. Proverbs 29.15 is the last one I want to read on this just to show the point that he's, he's talking about using a switch or a rod. 29.15 says this. The rod and reproof give wisdom. So they're not the same thing, correct? Correct? The rod and reproof give wisdom. But the child who is left to himself, who gets his own way, brings shame to his mother. Why does he bring shame to his mother? Because he's a fool. Fools can't follow Jesus because they have no other perspective other than their own self-will and what they're seeking after. Disciples of Jesus have submitted their will to the will of the master and their life revolves around obeying him and following him. We can give our kids a jump start in learning how to be disciples and do hard things by training them and disciplining them well. That's the first heartstring. We put that first, uh, I'm sorry, that's the first pillar of raising children. We put that first because I feel like in my observation and our observation, that's the thing that's lacking the most in this generation. They don't get it. They've been brainwashed with, if you ever do anything physical to your children, like train them with a switch, you're being abusive, and so you shouldn't do that. And the reality is you're actually abusing them by not disciplining them. That doesn't usually get amens, but thank God it did here. Um, Okay, second pillar is this. We call it connecting heartstrings. And this is about the relational connection that you have with your children and how important this is. So again, it's not all about discipline. That is hugely important. You can't do away with any of these pillars and, and actually do it right. But discipline is really important. But connecting the heartstrings is important. So what does that mean? That means that your child feels and perceives that you really like them. That you don't just tolerate them. How many times have I seen parents where they're they're just irritated? Stop that. Stop that. Stop that. What does that say to the child? My, My dad doesn't like me. He doesn't like me. If he doesn't like me, I'm not going to like him either. There's heartstrings. So being harsh cuts heartstrings. Think about the things that cut the heartstrings between you and your child. If you mock them or shame them publicly, boom. Hey, big nose. 
You don't have a forehead. You have a five head. Boom. You're cutting hearts. Don't do that. Don't shame them. and Don't embarrass them in front of their peers. That's very foolish. You might think it's cute. They don't. It cuts those heartstrings. And the connection that you have to influence them for Jesus, you're cutting it. Don't promise them that you're going to take them to the park and then you don't and go, oh, actually, I'm not because my friend Bill asked me to play golf today. Don't do that. You're sending a message to them that you're really not very important to me, that I don't really care that much about you, and I'm only going to do nice things with you and be with you when it's convenient for me. That cuts heartstrings. Being harsh, yelling at them, anger cuts heartstrings. We all go, oh my goodness, how many times have I cut heartstrings? I can tell you I did it, but you know, we had a friend who said, how do you spell relief? R-E-P-E-N-T. So, <laughs> I want to tell you something that will affect your children in a powerful way. When you screw it up, you get down on your knees and you say to them, I am so sorry. Daddy was wrong to do that. Please forgive me. You know what that does? It pulls that arrow out. And it reconnects the heartstrings. And it also teaches them that it's okay to repent. That actually taking the low road and humbling yourself is actually a good way to go. Because this is what mommy and daddy do when they screw up. They repent and they ask us to forgive them. That is so helpful for children to have that. How many children have I known where they're relationship with their parents was shattered and broken and still as adults like you know this is true still as adults they wrestle mightily with their own identity with their own acceptance with their own value with things that are just foundational for us to actually move on with Jesus but they're stuck because their parents have consistently cut heartstrings throughout the years and their heart has become hardened because they had to survive. Yeah. This really matters to connect heartstrings. You can win the battle of control in the short term, but lose your kids in the long term. So just because you're bigger and stronger, yeah, you can control their behavior. You can slap them down. Because you're stronger, but when they get older, if you've cut those heartstrings, they won't like you. And if you cut the heartstrings in the connection of affection with them, then the likelihood is no matter how well you disciplined them and no matter how they were all walking in a row because of fear of you, they'll walk away from you and from your God. Ever hear of deconstruction? It is a huge issue today where children are raised in the church, raised as, quote, lovers of Jesus, been in all the kids' churches in the county, but when they get in high school, college age, they walk away from Jesus and go, I don't want anything to do with your God. One of the big keys there is that the heartstrings between them and their parents have been cut so many times they feel like, if I, if I follow in the footsteps of your religion, which you are so hypocritical about, you talk about the love of God and how transformative it is, and you treat me like dirt and constantly cut my heartstrings and scar my heart, 
I'm saying it's a real thing. I counsel these people every month that struggle with this. And it's hard to gain back what they've lost. And so keeping the heartstrings connected is so important. Your kids should always feel like you like them. One of the things that my kids are all grown now, you know, the youngest one's 22. Our oldest son's 36. And what they've all said, they gave us a deck of cards one time that says 52 reasons why we love you for mom and dad. So it's really meaningful when they're adults now. Several of the things in there were thank you for playing games with us. You remember when we played all those games and we crawled on your back and you crawled across the floor. And you know why? Because you're communicating to them when you look in their eyes and when you laugh and when they see that twinkle in your eye that you really like them. I like hanging out with you. I'm not doing this as a duty. I actually like you. I like playing with you. I like being with you. If they feel like that, then you have their heart. Proverbs 23, 26 says, my son, give me your heart and then you will delight in my ways. If you lose their heart, you lose them and they won't want to follow in your ways. This is really important stuff. The heartstrings connecting. Are we doing okay on time? I know y'all, I mean, y'all used to revival, right? So, you know. <laughs> You want to do number three real quick? Okay. All right. There we go. That's all I needed. Um, did you want to say something about the baby? Okay. So number three, pillar number three is the parent's example. This is from Deuteronomy chapter six. And this is what it says. This is the commandment, the statutes. I'm in Deuteronomy six, reading verse one through four. This is the commandment, the statutes, the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God. Listen to the heart of, the, of God. This is about your heritage. This is about your lineage. When you're going into the promised land to take it, he goes, don't go by yourself. Make sure you're going to take your lineage with you into the promised land that I'm giving you. You and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. I want you to follow the sequence here, verse 5. Sorry, I'm going past verse 4. Um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7, connection. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk in the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. The example of the parents is really important 
for the children to see. It's the Lord's intended way for the kids to actually learn what it means to follow and love Jesus. And make no mistake, one of the most damaging things to children and ones who deconstruct almost always say this. And deacon, you know what deconstruction means? They walk away from the faith. Ones who have done that have almost always said that their parents were hypocrites. Almost 100%. They lived one thing in their home. They heard one thing in church. They saw one thing there, but then it was different than what happened in their real life. The parents are saying, Jesus is my treasure, but they spent all their time and their money on the golf course. They said, Jesus is my treasure, but they never talked about him or prayed with them or worshiped in their home and they're like, that's not real. This is something you do like going to a rotary club where you have a meeting and then when you come home, you actually do what you really want and what you really love and what you really like. Here's the thing. Kids are really intuitive. They know exactly what we are. They see us when we get up with bedhead in the morning struggling and stumbling to find coffee. <laughs> they, they, they see us in our worst and in our best. And they see what really drives us. They see if the passion of our life and our soul is really Jesus. I wanted my kids to see me worship the Lord and cry. Not because I was getting paid for it, but because it was real. I wanted to share them scriptures that had spoken to me and that burned inside of me with passion not because I was getting paid for it, but because it was real and it shaped my life and it was the core of who I was. That is more shaping than almost anything for children to see the reality of Jesus in their parents. They will want to follow reality that they see. They will want to turn away from hypocrisy that they hear. So we have a big responsibility as parents to model correctly before the Lord. And lest you go away going, oh my gosh, I've been a total failure, or I can't do this. You're looking at two really weak vessels up here. <laughs> if you guys think we had it all together and we knew exactly what we were doing, you're totally delusional. <laughs> we did not. But we, what we did do was we were authentic. We repented when we made mistakes. We wanted to be real authentic lovers of Jesus in our home. And I believe that our kids wanted to follow because they knew that it was real. Just like you had here today, you're praying for people up here and the children are up here watching and seeing what's happening there. That, that same kind of thing should be in your home. When, when a crisis comes up, they should see you, let's pray. Let's pray, we're going to pray. And, and see you with authenticity crying out to the Lord. To see the tears in your eyes sometimes when you're talking about Jesus and how he rescued you and changed your life. That's transformative for your children. And that's a pillar of what God intended for us in raising them. Now, if we've made mistakes, and we all have, God is a redeemer. We were raised, and probably most of us in here, were raised in homes that were not godly homes. And the Lord rescued us anyway because he wanted us. So God can redeem all of the fails of the past. I would just say this. If you're older and you have children and you have failed in the way that you've raised them, 
One thing that would be hugely helpful for them is to go to them and repent and say, I'm so sorry. I was a hypocrite, and I did not rightly teach you the way of the Lord because I was a hypocrite myself. That would be so healing to them. It rarely happens, but when it does, it usually brings a strong reconciliation. Let's just own what we can own, and let's trust the Lord. And I'm encouraging us, if we don't have children in here, please, I know how much this means, be an encourager of these young families that are raising children. Bless them, encourage them, build them up, pray for them, be there for them. It's hugely important. This is not just about them. And that's not my issue. It is your issue because we're a family together. And we've got to go together into the promised land. I'll close with this. You know, in the book of Deuteronomy, when they came across and they conquered two kings there, and they saw that the land, some of the tribes saw that the land that they had conquered was a really good land, but it wasn't actually in the promised land over the river. And they said to Moses, hey, just give us this land. We don't need to be going into the promised land of fighting the giants we're good here and Moses got furious with them he's like what are you talking about don't you know that this kind of unbelief and not wanting to go in and take the promised land is why God judged the Israel in the past what are you talking about he got really lathered about it and they're like wait 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 we're gonna go and help everybody else take their inheritance not just stay here in ours and he said, you better. And so they did. Those two and a half tribes went in and fought the whole way to help the other tribes get their inheritance. And that's what we do as the body of Christ. Just because we don't have kids doesn't mean that we don't fight for the kids that are being raised up here. We do because we're going to get our inheritance together as a people of God, as a family, and we stand together, we march together, we fight giants together, and we take the land together. For the Lord. Amen. Amen.